Let's pray. Father, our hearts do hunger for you, and, and we want more of you. And we know that one of the places to find that, one of the places to find uh, the motivation, the encouragement, the challenge to keep going on in you is in the Word. And so as we go to that place right now, I just pray you'd use this time to uh, move in our hearts, that your Spirit would work deep in our souls, and that you'd say the things you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that we'd have ears to hear it. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> All right. I had a fun conversation a few years ago, uh, maybe it was even last year, with, uh, with Derek. We were talking about needs versus wants. Now, you know every parent gets this right. I mean, we know when our kids are talking to us about stuff that they want, we, we, we point it out, right? I mean, that's a want and this is a need. You, you, don't, you don't need this thing over here. But we were talking about this, uh, Derek and I, and, and he'd been processing this. He'd been thinking about this. And uh, we were talking about things that are needs and wants. And so he said, Dad, my Nintendo, that, that's just a want. You know, and I said, that's right, that, that's a want. But he said, food tonight... That's a need. Well, we have to eat. And I said, that's right. And he says, Dad, something else too. Your car. That's a want. And I said, no, no, no. You see, I've got I to gotta drive to work. I need, I need my car. And he says, no, Dad, you could get there other ways. I mean, that, that's a want. That's a want. And so we went back and forth for a while on whether I actually needed my car or not. I don't know who won. But, um, <laughs> but I tell you, I think as a parent, we have this instinctive sense that we want our kids to know needs versus wants, and we're quick to point it out. We're quick to be able to see and respond with the things that they're telling us that they want. I think it was kind of like that, uh, that, that, you know, you watch Home Alone or Home Alone 2, and whenever, whenever that kid gets alone, whenever his parents leave him there, he just pigs out, right? I mean, he eats all this food, and he's stuffing his face, and he's loving every single minute of it. We as parents watch that and go, no, no, that, that, that's bad for you. I know better. I know what you really need. What you really need is a healthy, nutritious meal, and instead you're filling yourself with junk. We, we, we get this. We get this. But as parents, as adults, as Christians, I think after a while in the faith and, and living in the world, it can be really easy for those lines to get blurred in our own life. What, what do we really need in life? What is the thing that's really going to keep us going? What is the thing that's healthiest for us? What do we desire most? And Jesus asks a, a penetrating question. It's a simple question. What do you want? As a parent, I know how to answer that for my child. Do I know how to answer it for myself, though? That's the question we're going to look at today. If you go in your Bibles to John chapter 1, that's where we're hanging out. Um, if you're new to Three Lakes Church here, um, we're doing a series this month uh, called Jesus Questions. And, and basically it just looks at some of the questions Jesus asked people, and then we ask him of ourselves. If Jesus were standing here and asking me this question, how would I answer? That's all we're doing this morning. So if you look at John chapter 1, that's uh, where we're going. If you're in a, a, a blue Bible in the pews in front of you... Uh, Page number is 750. 750. And we're going to pick up in verse uh, 35. Just to give a little bit of setup, uh, this John starts 
with uh, telling a story about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is this uh, guy in the wilderness that's been baptizing people. They've been, people have been repenting, even Roman soldiers. And, and John, will, he will speak the truth no matter how hard it is. He'll speak to Pharisees, Romans. doesn't matter who you are, he'll tell you the truth and he'll call you to repent. And he has disciples. John has followers that are hanging around him. But his job is to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. His job is to make paths straight for when Jesus arrives on the scene. And one day Jesus does arrive on the scene. And John sees heaven open. And John actually sees the Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove. And John says, this is the one. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one. I don't even deserve to untie his sandals. This is the one. Now, this is the next day after John said, Behold the Lamb of God. Look at verse 35. It says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When, two, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Now we know one of the disciples was Andrew. The other guy that was started to follow Jesus, we don't know what, who his name was, but some people think it was John, the writer of this book, uh, because uh, John tended to be kind of humble and not talk about himself a lot. But he'd refer to himself in, in other ways. Could have been John, but it was certainly Andrew. What you've got then is another day where John the Baptist is out doing his thing and baptizing people, doing this, and then Jesus walks by another time and John points to him again and says, this is the Lamb of God. Now, we know Lamb of God refers to Old Testament. Okay, and, and the readers would have read, if you were a Jewish reader, you would have read this and said, okay, I get it, Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, in order to take care of my mistakes, my sins, they would take a lamb and, and they confess the sins over the lamb. You know, the lamb bears the sin. You kill the lamb because I deserve to die like the lamb. But the lamb's dying in my place. And of course, animals can't really take away our sin. Like, we get that. Animals, I mean, they can't really do the work. But it was pointing forward to the time when someone would come to bear the sin of the world. Jesus, of course, who died on the cross. And so when John says, Behold the Lamb of God, he's saying, This is the one all the lambs are pointing to. This is the one. He's it. So the disciples of John naturally think, Okay, well, if this is the guy, we're going to follow him. So they get up and they start walking away from John. And, and the text doesn't tell us that John said, Well, we'll stop. Wait, where are you going? You know, th- there was none of that. It just seemed this is natural. If, if you're the one, if this is the Messiah here, then why am I going with second best? This is the one. And so they got up and they left. And the text doesn't tell us how long they followed. As I was kind of meditating on this this week, I, I, I can't tell if they walked for a mile or two or kind of behind them, you know, like, who's going to talk first, you know, you or me. And, but, but, but they followed him. And at some point, Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? Now, if you read the story, again, when we read stories, we can kind of gloss over questions and things that are going on. But if you think about that question, I think there's more depth there if we consider it, if we meditate on it, if we chew on it a little bit. What do you want? 
In Greek, literally, it says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? NIV tried to smooth it out a little bit and just say, well, what's going on? Well, what, what do you want? And it's a good question. What do you want? I think it's a question that, when you, if you can answer it, it exposes the deepest desires of your soul. It's number one. His question exposes the deepest desires that you have in your heart. What's going on here? What, what are you really after? I remember the first time I came to this passage in my own devotions. I mean, I'm sure I've read it before, but I remember a few years ago, I remember where I was, where I was sitting. It doesn't always happen when I do devotions. Like, I just have that moment that's like profound, on-your-knees kind of moment. But this was one of them when I read this passage, and it was like Jesus was asking me directly. I, like, I could hear his voice in my heart, and he said, Niall, what do you really want out of life? What are you really going after? What are you really seeking? And if you stop and you think, that's a, that's a profound question. What, what do you want? And it's a question that can be answered differently at different times in your life. Right now, you just might really need a new car. And that's what you really, really want. When you get up on Monday morning, you think, I'm going to work because I've got to buy that new car. I'd really need that. Derek would say, that's just a... That's just a desire. That's just a need. That's, that's, that's just a want, not a need. But um, maybe it's a relationship. You say, man, I, I'm not married. I want to meet somebody. And so really what I think about what I want the most is that, that relationship. That's what, I, that's what I want. So Jesus asks, what do you want? Different questions. Their answer is very interesting, though. Um, what they say back to him um, if you look at verse um, 38, they say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They, 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 don't even, they don't even answer the question directly. They answer the question with a question, which was actually very common back then, to answer a question with a question. Where are you staying? They didn't invite themselves in. They, they just wanted to know where he was. And I think, I think the desire is we want to be where you're at. We want to be with you. I want to be with you. Secondly, then. Secondly, their answer exposes our greatest need. What, what do I need more than anything else? What should I desire more than anything else? More of Christ. To, to keep Him first in my thinking. To keep Him above all else. I think that's where they're going here. Um, we want to be with you. We want to stay with you. And he invites them. His answer is, well, come and check out where I am. Come and see. And they got to spend the day with him. Their answer expresses our greatest need, which was that way from the beginning. You go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had a relationship with God. They enjoyed fellowship with God until sin came. And when sin came into the world, ever since, we've been without that relationship. It's what we desire the most, and yet we don't always feel that. It's what we need the most, but we don't always desire it the most. Let me explain it like this. Um, I brought my breakfast with me this morning. Really healthy. Got myself a donut. Yeah, right? Right? Okay. Um, not healthy, though. Uh, at some points in our life, at many points in our life, we have needs and desires and wants that we elevate higher than our desire for Christ. 
I have that. I think we all have that. That's a problem we have. The problem is, when I elevate a desire above Christ, above that, I, I want to I be with you, Jesus. That's the disciples' answer. We just want to be with you. Where are you staying? And they saw where he was staying, got to spend the day with him. When I elevate desires above desire for Christ, those desires become unhealthy. Hence the donut, right? This is what we do. We say, I want to find my deepest desires fulfilled in my spouse. And when I elevate her, she becomes unhealthy in my life. Right? We all have a need to work and make money to survive. When I elevate my desire for money above Christ, it becomes the donut. That's what it does. We've elevated it higher. I want the best for my children. I want to be there when they're in their sports. I want to help them through school. I, I, I desire their best. But when I elevate their stuff above Christ, my desire for Christ, they become unhealthy. So this is what we do. We, we turn things that could be good things in our life, secondary, third, and fourth desires that we ought to have, and we elevate them to the point where they become unhealthy for us. We change them into donuts. <laughs> and... We consume these things because, let's face it, uh, if you're married, your spouse is there for some of your needs. That's the way marriage works. Our kids do give us a sense of uh, completeness in a sense. That's how kids work. So, So these things do kind of fill us up. But it's empty calories. It's really empty. Because we haven't first feasted on what we need the most. We haven't first desired what we need to desire the most. That's the issue. I just want to give you 60 seconds. If you would close your eyes for 60 seconds, put your hand down in front of you, and, and do this. Aside from Jesus, what are five things that I am striving towards, five things that I am seeking, five things that I am desiring in my life right now? If you close your eyes right now and do that, Put your hand out in front of you. You don't have to look at your hand, but your hand out right in front of you. What are five things besides Jesus that are very important to me right now that I feel like I am striving for? You can even include sin in that. Things that I am struggling with that I still desire that I know I shouldn't desire. Five things. Give you 60 seconds. Think on that. now in the quietness of your heart, if you could keep your eyes closed more and just say, where does Jesus rank in those desires? Where does he rank? Honestly. Honestly.
You can look up at me. Uh, Jesus talks about the things that we need, and he says, you know, the Father knows you need these things, but seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. If I can just keep kingdom stuff first in my desires, in my heart, then that's the right order. If I reverse it and I make spouse first, kids first, money first, pleasure first, sin first, whatever, friendship first, when I start to invert the order, I change those things into donuts that are unhealthy for me, that are filling me up with empty calories, but don't give me the nutrition I really need. I've made good things unhealthy. And certainly I don't even need to demonstrate that when you put sin above Christ, you know, if if there's that sin in your life that you say, I'm not willing to give that up, it's going to stay there. Again, you've elevated that above Christ. And it doesn't mean you're not forgiven, but it means that your desires for that thing instead of for the Savior. And that's not how he intended it to be. Now, I intended to preach a sermon where I, I focus primarily on desire. And then at some point in the week, I heard Jesus say, you've got you to gotta shift directions a little bit. And, and how, do we, how do we get there with our desire for Christ? How do we get there? Because it's easy to say you don't have the desire that you want to have. And, and the day that I did my devotions in this passage was a day that I just remember being on my knees saying, I need you, Jesus. I don't desire you the way that I should, but I want to desire you the way that I should. And you're going to have to help me. And the verse that he brought to my mind was out of Philippians. I remember thinking of Philippians 2.12 where Paul says, My dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So he's saying, I want you to work out your salvation. And I think, okay, work. I get it. I do devotions, and I, and I do good works, and I, and I do, do, do. Work out your salvation. But then it says, but, but it's him in me that's working in me to desire those things. He works in me to will and to act according to his purpose. All right, so he's doing that in me. So it's not about me. But like he's telling me to work it out. He's telling me to resist sin and resist the devil and he'll flee from me. He's telling me to do these things out of desire for Christ. But ultimately when it comes to where does that stuff come from, it comes from the Spirit working in me to get that stuff done. It comes from me saying, I can't do this. I can't desire you above all things, Jesus. You're going to have to change my heart. If he begins to change your heart, how do you cooperate with him, though, along that path? How do you do that thing where it's like, if you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me? Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. How do we do that? Because here's what the text says. Um, in John, if you look back at John, it says in verse 39, Come and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. That's about 4, 4 p.m. They saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. Literally in Greek, that word spent is the word uh, in Greek meno. And meno means remain or abide. Remain, abide, stay, meno. There is a famous passage in the book of John where John tells us how to remain in Christ. You want to hang out with Jesus? You want to desire him above all things? Then look at John 15. Would you go there? John chapter 15.
This is where I believe Jesus really wants us to hang out this morning. Um, I was thinking about desire a lot, and, and I really heard Jesus say, I, I want you to talk about how they can, how they can remain in me. How can, they, how can they abide in me? How can they hang out with me during their week? Here it is. John 15 is page 764. You want more of Jesus? This is a good passage for how you get there. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. That's the word meno. They remained with him that day, Andrew and whoever the other disciple was. Meno in me, and I will meno in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must meno in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Meno, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will meno in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. We read that earlier. We didn't plan that either. Eric, thank you for being sensitive to the Spirit there. You are my friends if you, do, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. 17 verses. I'm sure there's a lot more than what I'm going to tell you this morning on how to stay with Christ during the week. But let me pick out four that I think are particularly important. The first one I'll call your attention to is uh, verse 7. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you want to hang out with Jesus? You want to spend time with him? Before you get to heaven, you let his words live in you. You let his words remain with you. One pastor I heard speak said when he does devotions, when he spends his quiet times with Jesus, he sets an empty chair in front of him. And he does his devotions with that empty chair right there to remind himself that Jesus is here. He's here. I once remember reading a, uh, it was a newspaper story, so who knows if this is uh, accurate or not, but I, I think it was in a Christian magazine, actually, is where I saw it originally. And there was a person that wrote in and said, uh, look, I, I get a lot of the Bible, and I'm just kind of tired of it. I go to church every week. I've heard hundreds of sermons. I can only recall one or two. That's depressing, right? You remember what I preached last month, don't you? Um, he says, I do devotions every day and read my Bible and I can't remember what I read. I mean, you asked me what I read last year. I don't remember. I don't recall. It, it's not there. I have too many things going on in my day that are pressing, that are important. And, and, I, and I don't see how this really helps me. 
And then he signed his name, Bored and Busy. The next week, someone else wrote in and uh, said, you know, I really relate to Mr. Bored and Busy. You see, I'm also very busy. A lot of things going on. And uh, you know what? I was thinking about my eating habits. I eat hundreds of meals every year. I can't remember most of them. I think eating's kind of a waste of time. So I'm done with it. I'm just done eating. Signed his name, Starved and Stupid. Um, and you know, I think this is the issue. Sometimes we talk to our Christian friends and we hear about their, their deep experiences with God. They say, I opened the Word of God today and like Jesus jumped off the page. And you say, Jesus never jumped off the page at me. I don't know what I would do if he did, right? What does that even mean? And, and we get kind of jealous sometimes of those people that, 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 that I think we just think, man, they have these deep experiences every day. Those people will tell you that's not true, by the way. I would tell you that's not true. But we have moments. When I first read John chapter 1, that was one of those fall-on-your-knees moments for me in my devotion. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't expecting it, but it hit me, you know? But you do it every day because you need this. You need it. You need it more than you need to eat today. Okay? You need Scripture. You need Jesus' words more than you need Sunday lunch. Now, you might amen me or say, that I know that's true, but, but, but the doing it, I know, is the hard thing. And what I've always told people is, you ought to find a time and a place. You say, this is my time to connect with Jesus. This is my place I'm going to do it at. And you make it a habit. Just like people say, if you want to get in the gym, you've got to have the time, you've got to have that set, set that aside so you get into a habit of doing it. Uh, you need this. So set a time and a place. And you don't have to be the person that reads two chapters a day or five chapters a day or I'm going to get through this in a year. Uh, you don't have to be that person unless you're wired that way. You can be the, I'm going to chew on three verses a day. You go to one of Paul's letters and three verses will give you plenty to think about. I guarantee it. You go to the book of Philippians and you got three verses out of there. That'll take you a good 15, 20, half an hour just to consider those words for your life. If you're like a read a chapter a day kind of person, go for the chapter. I would encourage you if you are a chapter a day person though, that you'd ask Jesus to point out one verse out of that chapter that's just for you. Read the chapter two or three times and say, what do you got for me today? Just that one verse out of that whole chapter. If you pick the wrong verse to meditate on, it's not the wrong verse because they're all the right verses, right? You, you can't go wrong. You just can't go wrong. But make a plan that, wire, that fits who you are, how you're wired, and then do it. Do it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a words guy. Remember diagramming sentences in school? I do that with the Bible, confession time. And all the English people said amen, right? Um, I, I actually diagram it because it helps me see it and, and, and chew on it a little bit better. That's just me. Whatever works for you, but you spend time here with his words. Okay? Jesus' words. Uh, B, how do we spend time with Jesus? Uh, Jesus is love. Jesus' love. Look at verse 17. He says, this is my command. Love each other. Love each other. You love people. Now, when I say love, a lot of you think, I know the first thing you think is it's the first thing I think. Love is like when I have warm, fuzzy feelings for somebody and so I speak a kind word to them. I encourage them. 
Maybe I pray for them. But when he says love, I know it means loving people that you don't like, that drive you crazy, that you'd rather not come across. It's those people too. Jesus says, if you only love the ones that love you, what reward are you going to get for that? Everybody loves people that love them in return. We all do that well. But loving the people that don't love you well, that don't return it. I am sure, I mean, this has hit me really personally. How do I love people that are unlovable? How do you do that? And and what I was thinking was, when Jesus died, I'm sure he wasn't looking at the people that were standing around that had been spitting on him, thinking warm, fuzzy thoughts towards them. I'm sure it wasn't like that. And yet he died for those people and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Right? But I'm sure it wasn't this emotional, loving feeling. You know, uh, it's the Michael W. Smith song, you know, uh, like a rose trampled, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Well, I've been very unlovable. You know, I don't know how true that song is or not. I mean, I know we sing it. I kind of like that song. But, but I think about that song and go, man, I've been very unlovable. And, and that song, sometimes I think that song is suggesting that Jesus had these warm feelings for me while he was hanging there dying and gasping for every breath that he took. I'm not so sure. Like, I know he died for me. I know he, he knew what he was doing when he died. But love can, doesn't always have to be that warm feeling. It can be an act of the will to say, I'm going to do this because I'm called to love even my enemies. I'm called to love my friends. I'm called to love the people of God. I'm called to love those people that I know they don't dislike me. I know they're not my enemies, but their personality drives me crazy. We're called to love those people and encourage them. And when you do that, you're closer to Jesus. You're closer to Jesus. That's that's all there is to it. Whether you feel closer or not, you are closer. Because, you know, remember remember the passage on Judgment Day? I wrote it down here, uh, whether we feel it or not, you know. Um, Matthew 25, people stand in front of Jesus on Judgment Day, and, and Jesus says, thank you, you served me when I was sick, you clothed me when I was naked. And the people are like, when, when did we serve you? When, when did we feed you? When did we clothe you? And he's like, no, no. When you did it for one of the least of these, you did it to me. Those people are clueless, right? You're standing before Jesus going, I, I just helped this person. I just gave some money for this person. I didn't even know what I was doing. And Jesus says, no, you were actually doing it for me. I don't see a Jesus experience in that moment there. It's not like, oh, I just gave money and I, I feel Jesus right now. But you are close to Jesus when you do that whether you feel it or not, you are close to him. And you're remaining in him. Okay, I've talked a lot about love. Um, i got two more. Uh, Look at verse 10. You want to hang out with Jesus during the week? Then you do verse 10. If you obey my commands, you remain in my love. You want to hang out with Jesus, you obey what he said. Now, obedience often gets this, we feel this obedience thing as in like, Do's and don'ts. Ten commandments. Thou shalt not. But could I encourage you when you consider obeying the commands of Christ? Because some of them, I mean, it's not always easy to do what he requires. The flesh doesn't want to do what he requires. But when you obey his commands, I think of commands in my own life more like descriptions. They're descriptions of who Jesus is, what he's like. Okay? 
So, so if your big hang-up is your mouth and you keep saying things that you shouldn't say, and it's so hard to keep your mouth closed when you just want to... When you keep your mouth closed, you're acting more like Jesus, who kept his mouth closed when he could have spouted curses at those people that were crucifying him. He could have rightly cursed them forever, and yet he said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Right? When Jesus says, I don't even want you to look at a person in lust, you think, man, that is a heavy-duty command that requires my TV off a lot and my, my internet to be safe. That requires a lot. And yet when you do that, when you follow that, you're acting like Jesus. That's what you're doing. Do you want more of Him? Well, then you're going to act more like Him, which comes down to obeying commands. <clears throat> Um, by the way, that descriptions thing, seeing commands as descriptions, um, I remember the first time I thought that in my own heart was reading James, and, and it's like when you read the word and you don't do what it says, it's like you've looked in a mirror and you walked away and you forgot what you look like. So, so the Bible's a mirror that shows me who I am, and it shows me who I'm supposed to be. That, that, that's the commands or descriptions of who I'm supposed to be. And it's a beautiful description that I'm supposed to be. Okay. Um, lastly, you want to hang out with Jesus? Um, look at verse 7. You want to hang out with Jesus? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. If you're the kind of person that puts Jesus a desire for Christ above all things, if your passion and your focus is Jesus, you will have the privilege of asking him for things and he's going to do what you ask him for. When your desire is for other things first, you ask Him and you don't get it. James says that too. You're asking for selfish desires. I'm not giving you that stuff. But when your desire is for Jesus first, above all else, then you start asking Him for stuff and He says, I want to do that, I want to do that because your desire is for me first and foremost. Done. It doesn't mean prayer is simple and easy and like, it, it's, not, it's not a genie thing. You know, It never works like that. Prayer can, be, can require so much perseverance before you see the answer. I, I get that. But you're talking to someone who delights in giving you what you need versus what you want. Jesus says, if you ask for the Spirit, He's going to give you the Spirit. Uh, let, let me quote it. Luke 11. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. Him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay? I give my kids good Christmas gifts. My in-laws give them even better Christmas gifts. My parents give them great gifts. I mean, there's some good stuff that they get on Christmas and they ask for. We want this and then they get it. How much more if you go to God and say, God, I desire this sin above you. You've got to change my heart. Do you think God's in heaven going, no, 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 no. Don't want to do that. You have to change that on your own. Of course not. If you come before him and say, God, I have not been in your word. I don't desire that. I need my heart to be changed to desire you more. 
Do you think God's going to say, no, I'd rather have you not desiring me and going to my word every day. I'd rather that not happen. You're just going to have to make that happen on your own. Then we'll see what I do for it. No, it just doesn't work that way. If you ask for it, he's going to do it. If you're praying that he, you would be able to abide in him better, he's going to work in you to get that done. And of course, you've got to cooperate. Of course, you've got to actually open this thing up and read it. Of course, you've got to take the hard step and love that person that's unlovely. And of course, when you get tempted, you're going to have to take that step and say no to the sin. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But he has got your back. And all you need do is ask. That's all you need do. And then the next steps you do in his power. If you feel distant from God and you try to make a deal with him and your deal says something like, God, I will, I'll do this if you do this. I'll read the Bible every day if you give me that experience of you and that feeling of you. That's not how it works. You don't bargain with God. You ask God. And he freely gives what he desires to give. That's the way this relationship works. Don't bargain. You say, God, I need you. I want to meet you. And then you go do it. And if you don't feel anything for months, you keep doing it. You keep praying. Because it's not about a feeling. But you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's met with you. He has met with you. One last thing. John 18. In John 18, I want want to close there. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you that um, don't have a relationship with Jesus at all need to hear this. This isn't the only time in the book of John where Jesus says, what do you want? In John 18, it's the same Greek words. What are you seeking? What do you want? But look at it. John 18, or listen to my voice. This is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed to Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove where he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guarding a detachment of soldiers, guiding a detachment of soldiers, and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, Who is it you want? What are you seeking? What do you want? It's, this, it's the same Greek phrase, just so we're clear. The NIV translates it a little bit differently. It's the same phrase. What are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. I have no idea what that looked like or what happened. All I know is he spoke and they fell. And again he asked them, what do you want? What are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. And then the rest happens and they they take him away to be crucified. My friends, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, we're all part of the angry mob, aren't we? Right? At one point in our lives, if Jesus would have said, what do you want? 
we'd say, I, I want my own selfish desire, my own sinful way, and we're the ones that force Jesus to go to the cross. We're the angry mob. But if you'd like a change of identity this morning, and you want your highest desire to be Christ from here on out, and you want to get out of this angry mob with torches and weapons, that's the problem with people in Jesus. A lot of people think Jesus is nice and friendly and we need his teachings, but when you get into his teachings far enough, Jesus makes people mad. And the world at the deepest level really does hate him. If you get into Jesus far enough, you will learn that you don't like him unless you're willing to submit to him. But maybe you want to change your identity and get out of the mob and get into being one of his disciples. If you close your eyes and bow your heads now, I just want to give you a chance to respond to that. If you want to get out of the mob and you want to be forgiven of your sins and changed forever and receive that forgiveness and follow him, would you look up at me and we will pray together today? If you Would you look up at me, make eye contact, and we will pray today? All right. So, for the six or so of you, or more if there's more, um, would you pray this in your heart or something like it? Lord Jesus, I'm tired of being against you. I'm tired of being part of the mob that was responsible for putting you on the cross. Oh, I, I know I deserved it. I know I deserve punishment for what I've done. But here and now, this morning, Jesus, I believe that you died on that cross to pay for the things that I've done. You were the lamb. You didn't deserve it. And you did it for me. So please change me. Please transform me and forgive me. And help me follow you and remain with you all the rest of my days and into eternity. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.